Thanksgiving is a time for a lot of things, including a time to really count your blessings. And as I was reflecting on blessings, I was remembering that one of the things we used to do for a while here at the church is we would always try each and every week to give a scriptural blessing over you. And somewhere along the line, I, I stopped doing that, and I was reminded of it. So I'd love to start, uh, start today with a, a blessing, praying a scriptural blessing over you, and I would love if you wouldn't mind returning it my way, too. So um, in, in the church I grew up, they scripted everything. It was, you know, we had, it was called liturgy, and you just, you, you read everything, and it said when we talk, when the pastors talk. Well, you got a little liturgy here for you. One of the things, if we go to the next slide, um, one of the things that I love about the liturgy I grew up with, it was almost all scriptural-based. And I was going to give this blessing today, and I just thought, you know, let me just type that in, because I think that sounds like a scripture. And sure enough, it's 2 Corinthians 13, 14, I believe. Yeah, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. So let me pray this blessing, receive this blessing. You're going into a tough week, right? Almost every week's a tough week. And so let's pray this blessing over you as you head in and start a new week. And then again, if you could fire it back my way, that would be fantastic too. So receive this heartfelt blessing. May the peace, may the grace and peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you. I think I want to do a little bit more of that. Well, Thanksgiving is a time to count blessings. It's also a time to connect with relatives. Anyone see any relatives last couple days? Yes. I want to ask how it went because I probably get a range of how it went. Well, not too long ago, I found out I was related to a guy named Dr. William Beans. We looked hard for a picture. We couldn't find a definitive one, but supposedly he is in this picture here. Supposedly one of these guys are one of my relatives, Dr. William Beans. Dr. Bill was a physician during the War of 1812. He was a good man. He was respected by both sides. Um, but he had, a, he had a bent, certainly more than a bent, towards the uh, U.S. side of things. Well, Dr. Bean got called into a situation because there were some British soldiers who looted some local farms. And so along with some other men in the community, they rounded up these looters and they put them in jail. Well, one of the looters escaped. And this, uh, uh, this shady soldier goes and tells his commanding officer, oh, man, there's these guys and they just, for no reason, just like threw us in prison. And so these, these soldiers came and they arrested my relative, Dr. Uh, Bill, and they put him on a British warship out in the harbor. Well, one of Dr. Bill's friends was this man. This is more of a definitive uh, painting here. He was a lawyer. We'll call him Scott. We got a picture of Scott, I believe, up there as well. Well, lawyer Scott actually got permission, because this is an international incident, he got permission from President James Madison to say, can I go and speak on behalf of my friend and see if I can get him released from custody from the British? And President Madison said, we'll do more than that. You don't just have my permission. I'm going to send you one of my guys. I'm going to send you Agent John. Agent John is well-versed in prisoner exchanges. So I'm going to send Agent John with you to secure the release of your friend, Dr. Bill. Well, Agent John was a pro. And before they began the mission, what Agent John did is he went out and gathered lots of letters from British soldiers who had been treated by Dr. Beans. And along with some other letters of some other uh, soldiers who have been treated by other American um, doctors who said, man, these American doctors, they're really great. They treat us even though we're at war with them. So Lawyer Scott, Agent John, they sail out to the British fleet. They're wearing their free Dr. Bill t-shirts, and they're able to convince the British to let my distant relative go. But there's a catch, and the catch was this. The Battle of Baltimore was about to commence, 
And because they were there on the eve of the battle, they said, we can't let you loose right now because you might tell the Americans of our battle plans. So they detained them on their ship until the end of the battle. And I think many of you could tell the rest of the story from here, if we can fire the next slide. This took place overlooking um, Fort McHenry. And the battle that they witnessed in 1814 inspired a song because Dr. Bill's friend was Francis Scott Key. The event that Dr. Bill and his friend Francis Scott Key experienced, that battle, inspired a song. Inspired a song. What was that song that still inspires our nation? The Star-Spangled Banner. And I thought this story might be a good way to introduce our new Advent series. This is a series where we're going to focus on inspirational songs that are linked to a real event in history. This is a real event. It happened around 4 B.C. It happened on the outskirts of a real city named Bethlehem. It was a real event. And I'm glad we have the kids in here today. Kids, maybe you can even help me with this. Does anyone know what event we celebrate on December 25th? What is that event? What is it? Christmas! And who is bo- whose birth do we celebrate on Christmas? It is whose? Jesus. You guys are awesome. We need you in here more often with us. Yes, we celebrate on December 25th the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a real event. It really happened in history, and it didn't inspire one song. It inspired countless songs, countless songs that still inspire people today. And what we're going to do in this new series that starts today, we're calling it Noel, we're going we're to do the best we can to look at the scriptures behind these songs. I was listening and singing along to some of those. And the richness, the scriptures that go behind these songs, it's so amazing, these stories. And we want to go beyond that. The other thing Brandon and I are going to do in the best job that we can in the next couple weeks, we're going to make the case that music is a gift from God and that these songs can help us capture the wonder of this moment, the wonder of the season. And that's so important to have things that refocus us because there's going to be all kinds of things that pull us so many different directions. I call it the holiday stuff. There's the Christmas stuff. That's about who? Jesus, right? And then there's everything else. That's the holiday stuff, right? And I, wanna, I think music is this gift from God that can help us to focus on Christmas like few other things because this music really is a gift from God to us. And so kids, be listening because we're going to be talking about how music is a gift. I also brought some gifts for you. And at the end of this message today, if you're listening close, at the very end, I'm going to tell you how you can go home with a gift today to represent how we have this gift in music. we got bouncy balls and squishy toys and gliders and cars and dinosaurs and jump ropes and stuffed pandas and tigers and all kinds of fun things. Now, for the teens and the adults, our gift really is these songs. And I don't just say that because it sounds all, whatever, pastory. This is true, and I hope I can make that case over the next couple minutes here. Well, as always, we got a lot to cover, so if you're a note-taker, I want to encourage you to take out your blue sheet, let's dig in, and let's start right here with the basics. Let's talk about Music 101. Music is a powerful tool. Do I have anyone that agrees with that? Yes, music is a powerful tool. Music can even help us commit 26 letters, a sequence of 26 letters to music, right? We can, we can commit it to memory. Music can simultaneously engage both our minds and emotions. Music can package huge themes into brilliant brevity. Music can influence our spending habits. Music can unite people, and music can divide people. Music is a powerful tool. In fact, I'm not sure there's anything that does a better job of helping us focus on the wonder of the season other than holding a baby in your arms this time of year 
But second to that, I would say, would be music. Music is a powerful tool. It can focus us in to this season. And every year, we spend the four weeks leading up to Christmas preparing our hearts and homes for a fresh advent of Christ. And in the past, we've dug deep into the book of Matthew. We've dug deep in, into the book of Luke. We've looked into the meaning of other symbols and traditions. We even spent a year not too long ago de-grinching. But the title, again, of this year's teaching series is called Noel. It's an English word that comes from a French word that comes from a Latin word. And that Latin word means Christmas or Christmas songs. Now, I alluded to this a little earlier, but before I begin the series, I got another little piece that I want to make, a clear, clear distinction. There's a place to write this in your notes, too. I believe there's a big difference between inspirational Christmas songs and a fun holiday playlist. I believe there's a big difference between inspirational Christmas songs and a fun holiday playlist. Again, Christmas songs are about Christ, and the holiday songs are about other holiday stuff. And it's okay to have some holiday songs on your iPod. It's all right. Uh, we've got plenty of them on our, our iPod at home. Um, I, I remember listening to um, Bruce Springsteen's got a version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and I must have been singing it with a little too much enthusiasm because my wife said, look, girls, your dad thinks he is Bruce Springsteen. And that was the last time I sang that song with a lot of, a lot of gusto. So just hear me on this. Our church, this is not a church that's going to say, delete all the holiday songs. You know, delete Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Delete that YouTube, Baby, Please Come Home. We're not telling you to do that. Because those holiday songs can bring back great memories. They're fun. It's kind of like having a cupcake after, you know, your meal, right? Or, or a what would be a Christmas dessert? What's Christmas cookies or something, right? It's like that. It's fun. It's enjoyable. It brings back memories. But what we want to do when we're talking about this series, the win for this series is for us to come away with a greater appreciation for the gift that the Christmas songs are. The use of sacred songs in this season, they can help us experience more of the wonder of a very real event that occurred on the outskirts of a very real town. So let's not let the great songs of Christmas just get lost. Right? It's just another one of the songs in my holiday playlist. Don't let that happen. Let's focus in. All right, enough intro. That was a long intro. Let's dig into the Word. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to spend most of our time here today in Luke chapter 1. We're actually going to look at three Christmas songs that erupted as the day grew near, all from the book of Luke Two of them from Luke chapter 1. I want to let you know, too, as we're opening our Bibles, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. We keep a stack at the table back there and the table right here. Please take one if you don't have one as a gift for you. All right, Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 39. A little bit of background for this account, if you're not familiar with, with what came before it. There was a young woman named Mary, and an angel named Gabriel appeared to her and said, you're going to have a baby, and that baby is going to be named Jesus. And so this happens, and she finds out she's going to have this baby, and then she goes to stay with her relative, Elizabeth. And that's where we pick up the account, verse 39. And we'll read through verse 42 here. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Zechariah is Elizabeth's husband. Elizabeth is her relative. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her own tummy leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
I'm going to hit pause for just a second because I mentioned this last time we looked at the book of Luke. Luke, the doctor, was fascinated by the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know of really many works, certainly not the Gospels, that say more about the Holy Spirit. I just find that fascinating that a doctor is so fascinated by the Holy Spirit. And you find it in his writing in the book of Luke and also in his sequel to this, the book of Acts. And it's interesting to note that the Holy Spirit inspired these Christmas songs that we're going to look at today. Well, Elizabeth continues on in verse 43. Let's look at verses 43 through 45 here. So Elizabeth continues. She says, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. After her relative said these words, that's when Mary burst into song. And there's even a name for this song. This next passage of Scripture, um, does anyone know it's in, in what it's called in Latin? It's the Magnificat, the Magnificat. It's Latin for magnifies. The song that we're about to read is one of the most famous songs in the history of Christianity. It has been whispered in monasteries, chanted in cathedrals, recited in small remote churches by evening candlelight. It's even been set to music with trumpets and kettle drums by the likes of Johann Sebastian Bach. The song that we're about to read is a song that testifies to the good news that tyranny and oppression will cease. It's a song that's been referred to as the gospel before the gospel. It's a hymn of triumph that was delivered months before the manger and years before the empty tomb. It's a song about a baby who's not even been born yet, and yet that baby's already making another unborn baby leap for joy, and it's made his mama giddy with excitement. It's the most famous song that most Americans don't know. And the song goes a little something like this, picking up at verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, it's interesting. She starts off following a template, a template from the Psalms, a template from a thanksgiving psalm, which begins by thanking God, and then you explain what you're thankful for. And that's exactly what Mary does next, picking up verse 48. For God has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So Mary begins this Thanksgiving psalm by saying, here's what I'm thankful for for myself. And then she continues this Thanksgiving psalm by saying, and here's what everybody can be thankful for if they put their trust in God for his salvation through this child. Picking up with verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. This is Mary's song. Mary and her relative Elizabeth shared a dream. It was the dream of the nation of Israel. It was a dream that the prophets of old had promised would come. It was a dream that the God of Israel would bring salvation and he'd bring blessing and he'd bring shalom through a descendant of the patriarch Abraham. And they longed for this day. 
as they lived under the harsh rule of Herod the Great, and he himself was subject to bigger bosses in Rome. Corruption was everywhere, including the temple. People were poor and defenseless and longing for freedom. And it's clear that Mary knew her scriptures. Almost every word of Mary's Christmas carol is based on ancient psalms and prophetic writings that spoke of God's mercy and hope and of fulfillment and revolution and reversal and ultimate victory over evil. The powers of this world would be overcome by the Prince of Peace. And the long-awaited promises of Scripture were about to be fulfilled. And one scholar said that the words that came forth from Mary's mouth, they were like a, quote, rich, foaming drink that comes bubbling over the edge of the jug and spells out all around. Well, in case you're a dude and you're saying, all right, this is Mary's thing, right? This is the girl's thing. Zachariah's got a hymn of his own. He's got a holy hymn, Holy Spirit-inspired hymn. So let's take a look at that. It's here in Luke chapter 1. Let's pick up with verse 68. And as you're turning there, here's the backstory on this hymn. Uh, before Gabriel visits Mary, Gabriel the angel visits Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, an old priest. And so when Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says, hey, guess what? You and your wife are going to have a baby. Zechariah's like, yeah, but I'm really old and she's really old. So, huh? And evidently, he didn't respond quite the way that Mary did. So Gabriel said, Zechariah, for that, you're not going to be able to speak. You're going to be silent until this baby is born. So all that happens before this song, and of course, it's all important because it's in the Scripture. Well, when John, his son, was born and named, the word says that Zechariah's tongue then was loosened, just like Gabriel said, and Zechariah began to bless God with his voice. The Latin name, there is a Latin name. For Zechariah's hymn too, it's called the Benedictus. And the entire song, get this, the entire song, one sentence. Apostle Paul would be proud of him if you know how the Apostle Paul writes. And the hymn from Zechariah goes a little something like this. Picking up with verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he looks down at his own miracle child, and he says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I'm going to hit pause for a second. I was getting distracted during that passage right there because I was just thinking, how often, dads, do we do this to our kids? There's a little extra for us, an important extra. How often do we look at our kids and just speak life into them? I don't do it enough. Just a thought. Back to the text. And another thing I want to say about this one is this. I, 
I realized something, uh, again, this happens to me a lot, I realized something new in this text that I've never seen before. I don't know how I missed this for 47 years, but the backstory to this hymn, the backstory to this hymn is, is reflective of the time period between the Old Testament and the New as the elderly priest was silent for months, so too were God's prophets silenced for centuries. There's a gap between the end of the Old Testament in terms of time and the start of the New. It's something like 400 years where we don't have any of the writings that happened during that time or any of the prophecies or anything that we would say was Holy Spirit inspired. And this, what happens with Zechariah, appears reflective of that. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He goes, what had begun as a kind of punishment for Zechariah's lack of faith now turns into a new sort of sign, a sign that God is doing a new thing. How do you miss that? You know, how do you miss that Zechariah's story is reflected in the big story? It makes me wonder what else I'm going to discover this year. No matter how many times you read the scriptures, aren't there always new things? Um, I was talking to a former pastor right after the service, and he said, uh, he goes, once a great theologian was, was asked to say, if you had to describe the Bible in one word, what would you do? And the theologian said, inexhaustible. There's so much here. You're always learning. Just when you think you know a passage, right? You're always learning. Kids, could you repeat after me? The Bible is amazing. One more time. The Bible is amazing. Let's say it with the kids, everyone. The Bible is amazing. <laughs> Unless we got the notes. See, music is important. It keeps us all together, among other things. Well, as was the case with Mary's sacred song, Zechariah's holy hymn reflects both deep longing and great anticipation. Zechariah lived in a world where violent men had come from far away with evil in their hearts and weapons in their hands. Dr. Bill and his friend Scott could relate to that. Christians living in the Middle East can relate to that. Citizens of France can relate to that, and we can too. We live in a fallen world, and in this fallen world, Zachariah saw hope in this new baby boy in front of him, and even some reverent fear. And Luke's 80-verse opening chapter pulls together events that we often find easier to keep separate. It's so easy for a lot of us to say there's the Old Testament box and then there's the New Testament box. And a lot of times we compare and contrast. There's one story. There's one story. There's one story. And this one chapter in Luke brings them together, builds a bridge, builds a bridge. The songs and stories that Luke shares, even before we get to chapter 2, link the birth of Jesus Christ to the Psalms and the promises and the patriarchs and the prophets and the kings of old. God had made a promise and a covenant with Abraham, and it hadn't been revoked. And God had promised to send a new David, and he had come. God had spoken of a prophet who would go ahead and prepare the way. That was Zechariah's new kid. All these things that Zechariah had known and believed and prayed and longed for, they were coming true. And the Holy Spirit was inspiring new and sacred songs as the events unfolded. My favorite line in Zechariah's Christmas carol is this. This is from verse 78. The sunrise 
shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. And when that sunrise came one silent night on the outskirts of a little town called Bethlehem, the heavenly hosts now join in. Up until this time, it's been the human voices. Now come the immortal voices, and their song went a little something like this. This is out of Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 13. And suddenly, when Jesus was born, a multitude of heavenly hosts burst into the sky, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He's pleased. So, so far in Latin, we've got our Magnificat, we've got our Benedictus, and here come the angels in Latin with their Gloria in excelsis Deo. When the birth of Jesus came, the heavens themselves couldn't keep quiet. They burst into the song because this is a day unlike any that the world had ever seen. You know, your, your battle of Baltimore, it proved to be a pivotal moment for the United States. This is bigger. This is much bigger and the advent of our Savior inspired not one, but countless songs. Songs that commemorate this holy night and bridge the Old Testament with the new. A military victory over a human adversary is one thing. This is D-Day for the souls of humankind. This was the advent of the Savior of the world. This is the final victory for sin and death drawing near. And if human and angelic voices wouldn't have rocked the night with great songs of wonder and praise, the stones would have, and the evergreens, and the holly, and the mistletoe, and the chestnuts. So here's our final question for you, for myself, as we launch this series. And there's a place to write this one in your notes. How will you and your family use God's gift of great Christmas songs this year? This is a challenge for me, you know, to slow down enough to savor these songs and to really reflect on them. Gifts were meant to be open and used, right? That's the intent of the giver. The intent of the giver is to give you something that can be opened and used. And these incredible songs of Christmas that were inspired by this real event, they can inspire us and they can unite us. They, in fact, that just comes to mind. Christmas Eve, if you can join us, we're going to sing songs. And just look around you when we're singing these songs. Look at the span of ages that are singing as one voice. How often does that happen, right? Most of us don't listen to our kids' stuff. The kids don't listen to our stuff. As soon as the old people listen to the kids' stuff, then they don't want to listen to that anymore, right? This is one of these times where we're singing. It's uniting us around this event. These songs can help us soak in the wonder of the season. They're songs that can capture these huge theolo theological themes with brilliant brevity. They're songs that have the potential to inspire us to get out and live out the great commission that our Savior gave us. So if you're new to Christianity or you don't know, where do you start with some songs? I just said to my directors, I said, could you send me some of your top tens? And so I just printed them out. So if you want a place to start, here's some songs that we love, and we, in parentheses, there's some artists. If you want a starting place, we'd encourage you to listen to some of those. If you've got a fireplace, light a fire and listen to one of these songs. If you don't have a fireplace, light a candle and listen to some of these songs. Perhaps plug in the Christmas tree, turn off the rest of the lights, listen to some of these songs. If you have any kind of Advent tradition, if you're a parent and you, with your kids, this is a gift you can give them to sit down and listen to one of these songs. I was thinking about this at the kitchen table um, yesterday. I was talking to my daughter, and I, I realized 
when, we, when a lot of us were kids, to bring music with you, you couldn't because you'd need a record player, right? You know, you, you couldn't. We had so little access to songs. Now they have access to songs. They can bring a zillion with them. The great ones will just get lost if they're listening to the latest whatever. This is a gift we can give our kids to slow them down enough so they can soak in some of these songs. And it's not going to happen on its own. So I would encourage you if you're a parent to consider that. Put these songs in your playlist. Listen to them on your commute. Let this season, these four weeks leading up to Christmas, be a time where we supersaturate our minds and our hearts with the wonder of this season. And that brings us full circle to the gifts that I brought with. Kids, you've been awesome. Adults, have these guys been great? You guys have just been awesome and focused. So on your way out, here's what you can do if you'd like one of these gifts from the front to remind us that we've got music as a gift. All you need to do is to come up and tell me the name of a Christmas song, something about Jesus, all right? So when I say amen after our prayer, if you can come up and tell me a song that's something about Jesus, a Christmas song, I would love to give you a gift as you go home. The rest of us, our gift, this is not like just pastor speak. This is true. These songs are gifts. Let's open them and use them this season. All right, let's pray. And I want to let you know too, as I'm praying, um, there will be people in the back that would love to pray with you about anything. If you've coming out of a rough week, if you're going into a rough week, if you've got great things, you'd like to have some people celebrate with you. In the back of the room, there'll be people who'd love to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us these gifts. God, you are so amazing because you've already given us everything. Our breath comes from you. Our life comes from you. Everything surrounding us comes from you, and yet you give us more and more gifts. Lord, we pray that we would receive these gifts and use them this holiday season specifically these Christmas songs, so that we don't just have a happy holiday, but we have a deep and rich Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.